say it's in a crucial stage. It's not because of foreign wars we wage. It's more to do with the colors blue and red. Too many laws and too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people try to cross the border. Politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got to be Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, it is indeed time to tap into the truth. Welcome to today's broadcast. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all of the usual caveats, of course. That, of course, was Matt Fitzgibbons with I've Got to Be Free that brings us into the show. And I just, I love that song. I love Matt. Great historian, great musician. Please, if you have a few moments, even if you have to do it right now and come back, I'll be okay with it. Boogie on over to PatriotMusic.com and check out Matt's work because you will not be disappointed. If you do, you will be missing out if you don't. True story. Anyway, what a week we've had. I had a uh, broadcast this past Wednesday night where I had a, well, an embarrassment of riches and guests. And uh, things went relatively well other than... Uh, some audio issues, which I think are probably still having to do with intermittent, intermittent uh, internet. Say that ten times fast. Uh, issues here locally. Supposedly, we are working on that, so hopefully, we will have nothing of the sort uh, causing issues. But if it does continue, uh, just know I have been assured by my local internet service provider that they are working on the problem. And uh, for any and all un- inappropriate uh, uh, blaming of BTR for some of that, I do apologize. However, 
I think given our track record with BTR, I was understandably um, suspicious of BTR being uh, at the heart of the issue. All that having been said, uh, it has been an interesting week uh, as far as things that have transpired. And uh, we should probably just kind of get into it, but let's hit a newer story right off the top, shall we? It would seem that the U.S. and our allies are prepared, or at least are in the process of preparing, to use rapid, lethal, and overwhelming force in North Korea. It would appear. Evidently, President Trump is growing weary of the belligerent actions of North Korea, which is moving forward with its worst-kept secret ever secret nuclear weapons program hidden deep inside a mountain range, and it continues to test intercontinental missiles at this point. Uh, For those of you who don't understand, if if you're not a regular listener and you're not real sure, when you hear the term ICPM, or you don't know that that stands for Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles, or you don't know what the difference between uh, an Intercontinental Ballistic Missile and any other kind of missile or rocket is, let me make it clear. An Intercontinental means that it has the ability to travel beyond the continent on which it was launched. Non-Intercontinentals, the rockets and missiles that we know North Korea has and are capable of carrying a nuclear payload – Their regional missiles, South Korea, Japan, China, although China not likely to be a target, these are places that should be concerned about that missile technology. Now, we have an obligation to protect both South Korea and Japan. So if they strike at them, they are still striking at us. But I can see where a lot of folks might step back and mistakenly say, hey, it's okay, buddy. Here in San Francisco or here in Detroit or here in Chicago or here in New York, we're safe from such things. And indeed, you directly are. However, not so with the intercontinental ballistic missile. These things have a long range. This is what makes us and Russia and China such a scary adversary for the rest of the world. We have nuclear capabilities, and we have extremely – what's a good word here? Advanced intercontinental ballistic capabilities, meaning there's no place on Earth that we can't target and strike from any point we have a base and have one of these missiles located. So whether it's nuclear or a more – traditional, conventional, as the term is used, whether it's a nuclear or more conventional form of payload, we can strike you from anywhere. Granted, it's going to take some time. You're going to see it coming. And if you have similar technology, you're going to be able to strike back. But you see, that's still the danger. It doesn't prevent you from still being at risk. Now, we have technology on board that's supposed to be able to shoot down these things. Some of our allies, some of our friends, and some of the people we're just trying to build new relationships with do not have that technology. And even with that technology, we still don't have guarantees of 100% accuracy, meaning that a missile could slip through. 
meaning that if somebody with the will to use these kind of weapons should have them, then you are at risk whether you are in Topeka, Kansas, or New York City, whether you're in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, home of the National Laboratories, and certainly amongst the top targets for Russia should nuclear war break out, or Los Alamos, New Mexico, whether you're in Los Angeles, California, or Bagwell, Arizona. It doesn't matter where you're at. If for some reason your city comes up as a target, they can get you. You're not safe. In fact, I would recommend, uh, suggest that you might be less safe in a less populated area or a less uh, desirous target just because the technology we have that will attempt to shoot them down is probably better focused on protecting cities like Washington, D.C., New York, New York, uh, Los Angeles, California, Chicago, Illinois, and places like that. There's probably a heightened sense of trying to protect those areas because of high-density populations and governmental uh, necessities to continue continuity of government. So if you're living in Walla Walla, Washington, as opposed to in the capital of Washington State, well, you might be at a higher risk. But it doesn't really matter. If any of these detonate, well, then you're not safe wherever you're at. That's the threat. I literally had a conversation just earlier today with, why do we worry about North Korea and their capabilities? Just let them have it. Just let them have it? Well, they only want to shoot at South Korea. First of all, no. They want to shoot at South Korea because they want to shoot at us. Technically, we're still in a state of war with North Korea. The Korean conflict did not end with a treaty of surrender. It ended in a ceasefire, which means it hasn't technically ended yet. And we have an obligation. Once again, after World War II, we said, Japan, you don't get a military anymore. The reason for that is because we're going to take care of you, but we're never going to let you build up and become a world-threatening domination force again. We did that. So we took responsibility for their protection. And while we were still in South Korea, the reason we still have active duty military in South Korea today is because South Korea is officially an ally, and we joined them in their fight against the North, in their fight against the spread of communism, in their fight to self-determine rather than to submit. So do not tell me that we should just let them have it, and do not pretend for a second like it doesn't matter. We literally have thousands of people in the States right now who think that this is – it's nothing. It's a big nothing burger. But the truth of the matter is, is this is huge. If they get intercontinental ballistic capabilities, they develop their technology so that it becomes reliable, then North Korea has a list of targets, and there are places in the United States that are near the top. Yes, they are not happy with South Korea, but in truth, they probably don't want to – hit South Korea with nuclear strikes, even tactical ones, because they still want to unify the Korean peninsula under their own rule. But Japan, they would not mind and they would not hesitate. They would not care to blow up any city or even the entirety of the islands of Japan 
they would love to be able to reach Hawaii, which some of their missile capability right now is on the verge of being able to do that. But if they develop a more reliable and a better capable, more long-range intercontinental capability, then there is no place in North or South America that would be safe either. Something needs to be done. Now, obviously, President Trump is very unhappy. And, of course, as he is up to do, he decided to express that unhappiness on Twitter. A big part of what he's unhappy about is China. And in truth, China does have the power and the influence, or they had the influence with previous dictators in North Korea. They still have the power, unquestionably. They can solve this problem very quickly. They very, very readily could just let them go. The problem is China has used North Korea as their little lap chihuahua for a long time. They get to say all the mean, spiteful, anti-America, anti-freedom things that they want to say and do without having to take the uh, backlash that comes from it and say, oh, you know, those crazy North Koreans. Yeah, just you just can't shut them up. Of course, they say that, and they're really just talking about the leadership because that's the only voice from North Korea you hear. The people of North Korea are being brutally victimized by dictators who have done everything in their power to convince their people that they are god kings and that uh, they cannot be challenged. That the outside world, besides what's inside their own borders. Uh, they're all quake at the sound of the voice of the dear leader. Well, Donald Trump's tweets began, uh, quote, I'm very disappointed in China. Our foolish past leaders have allowed them to make hundreds of billions of dollars a year in trade, yet, and then he continued in another tweet, they do nothing for us with North Korea. Just talk. We will no longer allow this to continue. China could easily solve this problem. All right, so I'm not real sure what Donald thinks he's no longer going to allow, whether that means they're going to put an end to China's capability to raise money through American markets or if he's just going to demand that they do something if they want to continue doing business. I don't know which. Uh, and he leaves it intentionally vague, and he does that because it gives him lots of room later so that if anything happens, he can claim a victory. That's just how Donald Trump works, guys. I, I have went from being very hopeful with the Trump presidency to, with each passing day, becoming more and more cynical about President Trump and how he goes about conducting the business of the president. And I think it's starting to show. I'm trying not to get too far down, but at the same time – I. And we'll get to another story that demonstrated he's – it's being somewhat disappointing. At any rate, tensions – tension is rising in the region, uh, understandably, after North Korea's recent missile test. Uh, the latest one happened just Friday. The U.S. flew two supersonic B-1 bombers over the Korean peninsula uh, yesterday. The uh, bombers – made a low pass over Osan Air Base near Seoul, then returned to uh, Anderson Air Force Base in Guam. 
Throughout the uh, approximately 10-hour mission, the air crews practiced intercept and formation training, enabling them to improve their combined capabilities and tactical skills, uh, this according to a release from the Air Force. Meanwhile, General Terrence J. O'Shaughnessy, U.S. Pacific Air Force commander, said that the uh, U.S. and its allies are prepared to use, quote, rapid, lethal, and overwhelming force against North Korea if necessary. But North Korea remains the most urgent threat to regional stability, according to the general. Uh, diplomacy remains the lead. However, we have a responsibility to our allies and our own nation to showcase our unwavering commitment while planning for the worst-case scenario. If called upon, we are ready to respond with rapid, lethal, and overwhelming force at a time and place of our choosing. Now, the Sun newspaper in Britain said uh, today that, quote, senior military sources in Washington have reportedly claimed Pentagon officials have laid out plans to obliterate a nuclear weapons facility operating deep within a mountain range inside the rogue state. China, meanwhile, held a huge military parade on Saturday, that being yesterday, featuring stealth jets, nuclear missiles, attack helicopters, and tens of thousands of elite troops marching in formation. Uh, of course, China's president, uh, dressed in military fatigues, and inspected the troops, as is their tradition. Contrary to Trump's claims, China is not at all happy with North Korea's missile tests. Uh, either, at least officially, they're not. And uh, their official announcement uh, directed to Washington is, quote, the Chinese side is deeply concerned about the situation. So that's where we're at with uh, this, uh, which seems to be continuing to escalate. And yet, if you're not paying attention to this, the right news sources, then you're not hearing about this at all. It's, it's ridiculous, the fact that we do not seem to have a media that is willing to be honest and forthright with us. It's ridiculous that we do not have a media that is going to continue to report the facts that we might need to know rather than continue to talk about some imaginary situation. You know, they refuse to talk about this IT uh, situation involving Debbie Wasserman Schultz staff. They refuse to acknowledge that there are things that their side has messed up. They they take the Democrats what were they calling it, the New Deal? Oh, no, that's the old firm. A better deal is what they're calling it. Hmm. wonder where they got the name from. A better deal, the New Deal. Hmm. Not a lot of originality, but then the Democratic leadership is getting a little long in the tooth. I'm surprised that they can even remember such great uh, bumper sticker slogan-style politics. But then again, that is about all they have actually practiced on the Democratic side for a while now. These are dangerous times, not necessarily because anything in the world stage has changed. After all, it really hasn't. There are nations out there that are run by dictators, and then there are nations out there that are run by representatives of the people. 
There are nations that are run by people that uh, claim to be one while actually being the other, and vice versa. At the end of the day, it really still comes down to the fact that a lot of countries that aren't the U.S. don't like the U.S. And the reason why they don't like the U.S. is because they're told constant lies and propaganda about the U.S. They're told by their governments that it's the, it's the fault of the Americans that why things are so bad. I'm quite certain right now if you did a poll in Venezuela, why are things so bad in Venezuela? The government leadership blames the United States despite the fact that this descent into socialism, this descent into the very model that Bernie Sanders thinks is just right for the United States that Bernie Sanders is willing to stand up for and uh, defend through his dying breath, it's destroyed what was once one of the economic giants of the Western Hemisphere. There were multiple years where Venezuela was the number two economy in the Western Hemisphere, just behind the United States. And yet... What's happened to Venezuela is they, uh, they adopted socialism, the very model that Bernie wants. And what happened? They were in ruins and in chaos, completely and totally destroyed, having to pick up from scratch. And if there's going to be any hope for Venezuela to recover, socialism will have to go. Now I'll take a quick uh, opportunity to give a shout-out to uh, COG, Child of God, who's joining us in the chat room, and Kel, who just popped in. Hi, guys. Glad to have you both here. Uh, what is that uh, what's that icon picture you've got beside you, Kel? I can't quite make it out. It uh, looks interesting, though. Uh, of course, uh, COG from Alaska and Kel from Canada. So uh, showing it the simple voice from East Tennessee is reaching out across borders and boundaries, and that there are ideas and concepts that do in fact unite us. Hmm. It's a flower. All right. All right. It's a rose. Cool. I get it. All right. It's just, it's very tiny on my screen, so, <laughs> but uh, very nice. Anyway, uh, thanks guys. Obviously at this point, uh, also while I'm Talking about the folks that are in the chat room, uh, this will be a good opportunity uh, to let everybody know that Mary will not be joining us today. She, once again, is spending some time with her family. Uh, this time, it uh, was uh, – <laughs> well, now we've got a discussion going on about the different pictures that go – the icons with the folks' names. Uh, that's cool. But anyway, uh, Mary has uh, had a scheduled uh, time with her daughter, and she was kind enough to let me know uh, earlier not to expect her. So I hope she's having a great time with her family. Uh, that is, after all, why we want to save the republic and why we want to save Western culture altogether around the world because we love our families. In fact, that kind of brings me to my next point, and that is we see a lot of separation and division right now and a lot of anger. It's very, very hard now for people to claim – friendship with people of a different uh, political stripe. If you have a honest-to-goodness, genuine 
real world progressive that is actually understanding that progressive is really just a word they use and they're out to just destroy the constitution and therefore individual liberty around the world, uh, then you're probably not going to be able to be my friend. But if you are just a misguided uh, person who hears pretty words like progressivism and fairness and equality and think that's the side you ought to be on without really looking at what they mean by those things, then we could actually be friends. Even if you're not willing to listen to my political viewpoint, we could as far as I'm concerned, but obviously not the case with you. I mean we're at a point now where we even saw people in decade-old friendships. And civil wars were up within families over the Republican nomination process. I support Ted Cruz. I'm a Donald Trumper. Nobody's welcome to intermingle. But here's the thing. If we're having a political conversation, you may actually be able to get me to react emotionally enough to get angry, to lose my temper, and to say things that I don't really mean because I am a human being and I am flawed as such and I am passionate about the topics. I try to keep a cooler head when having these discussions because I know it's important. Once you get to the point where you're yelling at each other or you start name-calling, then nobody's listening anymore. And I really want to try and reach some of the folks that are still persuadable. And I, what I'm trying to reach them with isn't the message of conservatism. But the message of critical thinking, because I'm pretty sure from my point of view that the message of conservatism will take care of itself if you can develop the ability of critical thinking. But the reason I'm so passionate is because whether or not you're a leftist or a righty or right down the middle or one of these silly people like I mentioned off the top of the show who thinks it doesn't matter, it doesn't care, you're not paying enough attention to know how it affects you directly… Whether you're any of those people, I care about you. I genuinely do. Now that just sounds crazy. Why? Why would someone who's never met me care? Because I care about the future. I care about your well-being because your well-being will be directional uh, path that the well-being of my children are going to take. And because I have been both blessed and cursed with having all daughters… I know that I will have grandchildren, and I want my grandchildren to have a better world to go to as opposed to the path we seem to be on now. So I'm passionate about that because I care about you, and part of that may be somewhat selfish, but part of it the, – the selfish part of it is what lets you know that I am legitimate in wanting good things for everyone because a rising tide really does raise all boats. It's not just cliché, but every cliché you've heard becomes cliché because there is just enough truth to it that people continue to say it. I want a better America, and I care. I care enough to be passionate about it, and that's part of what I love about young people in particular because they're willing to get so wrapped up emotionally and so passionate about what they believe. But our problem is these young people are growing up without that necessary component of critical thinking. Now that's been removed little by little from our public education for some time now. 
but that's a big part of why you have always seen young people rail against the establishment, and it's people who gain a level of maturity that tend to then later on embrace conservative ideology, at least even if not completely on a social level, at least on a fiscal level. I love the Constitution, and I want the constitutional constraints to remain on our federal government because it is built for personal liberty. So I'm going to defend the Constitution, and I'm even going to call out those occasions where even I let my emotions get in the way of protecting the Constitution once I've seen it. And there have been times where I've come to you. I've made statements, and then when I've had time to think about it. Because I am an emotional person. I am a human being. So these things, I, I react emotionally to at certain times. And one of the most emotional things that happened, and thanks you, Cal, by the way, for sharing uh, the link involving Charlie Gard that you sent to my page. In case you don't know, Charlie Gard died Friday night when they finally removed life support. But this takes me to my next passionate discussion. I said before, and I've said a couple of times now, Charlie Gard needs to be the continued face as we continue to fight socialism, particularly socialized medicine. There is no question whatsoever that Charlie Gard is the example of what can happen when we let government bureaucrats make all decisions regarding health care. A system that, again, Bernie Sanders would love to see put in place, a system that Hillary Clinton wants to put in place, a health system that evidently John McCain wants to see continue as we move forward. Charlie Gard's death was tragic, but we knew it was coming. Now, we talked about Charlie Gard's case a little bit earlier here than you saw in most of the mainstream media. And I'm glad that enough people finally heard about the case. And what I want to make sure happens now is that nobody forgets. Far too often we've seen cases like this hit the news, and then two years later, maybe even just six months later, you can say the name and people will be like, I remember the name. It rings a bell. What was that about? We can't let that happen. We have to make sure that Charlie Gard becomes synonymous with socialized medicine. And we have to make sure that we make the case of, hey, Arizona, what the – your boy, your boy that even after you knew he'd went off the reservation, your boy who kept claiming to have an R at the end of his name, who has been a rhino for who knows how long at this point, you kept sending him there because you wanted Republican representation in the Senate. You wanted this man to be your representative because you thought he was a war hero, and you thought he would represent you well. And you know, what has he done? He took the hit, so about half a dozen other senators who actually are up for re-election in this upcoming election cycle wouldn't have to put on that no vote. He took the hit because he is one of the poster children for 
progressives on the Republican side. They want Obamacare to continue because they want Obamacare to fail, and this continues to move us right down the direction of a single-payer system here in the states. And you can ask around. There may be people in every nation that has universal health care that love it. But ask them how much medical innovation is going on in their countries. Ask them about the amount of wait time for serious diagnostic testing and for life-saving surgeries that are necessary. Ask them, in fact, right now about what the standards are in the UK in order to even be told about potentially new treatments. How your mass, uh, your mass, your body mass index has to be at a certain level in order for you to be considered healthy enough to be considered for certain treatments. And the levels they have it set at aren't healthy. They're unrealistic. Again, this is where I say, don't take my word for it. Do your own research. I could throw out the numbers. But you need to discover this for yourself. So let me plant that seed in your head. Let's start that conversation point here. But you go find out. You go see how ridiculous these numbers are, how the expectations of what is required according to the British government, what is required according to their death panel, and that is exactly what they are, what, what circumstances you have to meet in order to be healthy enough <laughs> – thank you, Kel. You really shouldn't. What you have to do in order to be considered healthy enough to be treated. And here's the thing about that. Take a look at what their standards were five years ago, ten years ago. Because these indexes and these standards have existed for some time. This is, after all, when it comes to socialized medicine, it's not about health care. It's about dollars and control. So they have dollars that they're collecting from everyone because you have to pay extremely high taxes if you want universal health care. And then they have these dollars in order to keep them, can't let you get them back. But when you look at these standards for a while, as there has been a push for greater health, you know, the let's quit smoking, let's start exercising more, let's make healthier uh, choices with our uh, diets. As more and more people became healthier, they started changing the rules so that fewer and fewer people could get them. It was about like qualifying for Social Security here in the United States. The retirement age has changed a few times. And why? Because they don't want you to ever actually get what you put into it back. John McCain, to a hero's welcome, stood on the floor of the Senate and voted no against the skinny repeal. John McCain, who has floated on this idea that he's a war hero for a long time now, the reports of which have been greatly exaggerated, by the way. And I don't dismiss anyone who's served, and I certainly don't dismiss anyone who has served under the conditions 
of being a prisoner of war. I'm not going to go down the same road that Donald Trump did when he was being dismissive of John McCain having been a prisoner of war. We don't root for the people that get caught. We, We like the people that don't get caught. Which cost him a a big hit among military voters for a while. They got over it, thankfully, but John McCain did propaganda videos. John McCain was no longer being treated as badly as the other prisoners of war were being treated. Kel is trying to share a Facebook link in uh, the chat room, so let me go ahead and throw this out here. She says to watch it before Facebook removes it, which is a real possibility. So for the listeners who are not in the chat room, that's at uh, www.facebook.com backslash prepare to take America back as one word, backslash videos, uh, backslash 1094353735. Backslash and go. She says to watch it before Facebook removes it. So I'm throwing that out there, and hopefully it'll be there for a bit. But John McCain, because of this recent situation where he's been diagnosed with cancer and may not have much time left on this world, although they're going to be very aggressive in treatment, so he he has access to health care, unlike what the rest of America does, so um, he may very well find his way to surviving, at least a little bit longer. We'll find out if his uh, contract with Satan has expired yet or not. But he stood on the floor of the Senate in the hopes that there would not be criticism of this man who's obviously being brave and bold just for being there, and he's standing on a principle. And you know what? I applaud people who stand on principles. But the principle that John McCain was supposed to be standing on was his, quote, campaign promise of leading the fight for the repeal of Obamacare. Anybody remember that? Does anybody remember him swearing to his constituents in the state of Arizona that he was on the front lines fighting to get rid of it? Now, most of us who paid attention to John McCain's voting record, his claim to be a maverick, which actually just means I'm a freaking rhino. I am a big government progressive with an R at the end of my name. John McCain has been voting this way and consistently that way for some time. There are a one or two occasional social issues that he might side with the conservative ideology. But when it comes to fiscal conservatism, nah. When it comes to constitutional restraints on the federal government, uh-uh. he is a progressive. Easily documentable. And again, don't take my word for it. Check out his voting record. See for yourself. This man, thinking that he would be above a certain level of criticism because of his health issues, took the hit for about half a dozen other progressive Republicans who were ready to didn't want to take the floor and vote the no to stop the skinny repeal. They didn't want to do it because 
they're up for re-election, and you are not going to get re-elected as a Republican if you hit no on this, unless you're in a state where just nobody pays attention to your voting record at all. The American people expressed their disdain for Obamacare by putting Donald Trump in the White House and giving the Republicans control of both the House and the Senate. They wanted this done. Cal in the chat room is talking about John McCain as a war veteran, and then she talks about having no respect for John Kerry after he found out that he threw another soldier's purple heart over the White House fence. There are a lot of similarities in John McCain and John Kerry's stories as far as that goes. There's a lot of questions and a lot of ill feelings directed towards these men by the people who served alongside them for various reasons. And I have to think when that many people are out there saying the same thing that they're well, there may be something to it. But it doesn't matter anymore if John McCain really was being valiant and refusing to leave the Hanoi Hilton or whether there's maybe not quite as much valiance in such an action if they were no longer treating you like they were the rest of the prisoner of wars because you were cooperating with them. None of that matters now because whether he is a hero or isn't a hero, whether he's a turncoat, a traitor, what have you, whether he's a rhino, whether he's a staunch conservative, the bottom line is this. He stood on the floor of the Senate. He took a hit for his progressive friends, and he betrayed not only America, but specifically he betrayed the people of Arizona, the people who are among folks that have been the hardest hit and most, most personally – let me try to – Compose myself a bit. The most personally impacted by the failures of Obamacare. As of last year, Arizona had two counties, two counties that still had any, any insurance company operating on the exchange for them. So the majority of the state had to be out of compliance with the Obamacare law unless they were able to join uh, one of the exceptionary classes. Maybe you could join a faith-based health care sharing program, like MediShare. Kel <laughs> uh, in the chat room is talking about how she wants to see Kid Rock uh, get elected to the Senate, and uh, that he can start filibustering by playing uh, all summer long over and over. <laughs> Actually, there's probably some uh, some of his stuff that would probably seem outside of the normal confines of the Senate, outside of the standard dictates of decency that would be more appropriate that he should do. Uh, but uh, yeah. All summer long would be good. Just uh, got a, his ability to party all night uh, probably would come in helpful in dealing with a filibuster. So, Cal, you've got a great point. But, yeah, we're back at this. He, he did this so that somebody can still go out and claim that I voted for the repeal. I don't know what happened, even though 
they would not have if their vote was the only one there. Because they don't want Obamacare gone. And we see this. And the very arguments that everybody who's trying to stand up and look like they're the reasonable people in the room, they continue to try and defend things that should not be part of the federal government's purview. There should not be these tax breaks for purchasing the product because you shouldn't have to be purchasing the product. There shouldn't be kickbacks to the insurance companies. And what happens if the federal government actually does stop paying the insurance companies this money? Well, they all pull out of the exchanges right then and there, and then every single citizen, even the ones that are actually getting some benefit, not that there's a lot of them, but they sure do have sad stories, and it looks real good in democratic propaganda to try and save it. And I shouldn't put it like that. I really shouldn't. Because these people are in bad situations, and I actually do sympathize, and I empathize, and coming from – the background that I come up from, financially, I'm still nowhere near stable, all right? I'm still having to work my backside off every day to try and make sure that I get from paycheck to paycheck. I'm not an elitist. I'm not someone who has garnered some great uh, level of privilege by virtue of being white. I'm not in that category. I'm not a rich guy. I wouldn't even hardly characterize myself as being well-off, except in the rural part of Tennessee I'm in, I'm doing better than a lot. So I state this from a point of view of someone that one medical emergency literally could leave me in the cold. But these are still things that the federal government has no business having its little thumb stuck into. Whether you really are a soft-hearted individual who just wants to help people or whether you're a cold-hearted, so-called progressive who's ultimately looking to crush and destroy the system that we've developed so that the Constitution becomes a thing of the past, no matter which camp you fall into, I truly do understand the depths that this means. And I understand these tragic stories of individuals who have garnered some value from it. But what value is there if it collapses on itself? Well, for the progressives, there's great, great value because this is a system that was designed to fail from the beginning. And I know, regular listeners, you've heard it before. If you listen to anybody with a conservative viewpoint, when they talk about Obamacare, they've told you repetitively by now. It doesn't seem to be sinking in with the masses that aren't firmly in a conservative camp, though. So let's reach out to those folks that just stumbled upon something. It was designed to fail. This was a stepping stone measure. They want it to collapse, and they want you so crushed by its failure that you demand that the Senate and the House pull together and put something on the president's desk that will save them from the failure of Obamacare. And every one of us, every one of us that was conservative and paying attention and understood what they were doing warned everyone that it would be impossible or certainly next to impossible to end this program once it started. It had to be stopped before it started because nobody in D.C. has the backbone to stand up and take the hits from the media and the sob stories that you're going to get in order to repeal this. They just won't do it. 
There's not going to be enough of them. You may find two or three, but two or three senators and five or six members of the House isn't enough to even get something out of a committee, let alone get it to the floor, get it voted on, and get something changed. And our biggest problem with this has been a lack of leadership from Donald Trump. He's supposed to be the deal maker, isn't he? He's supposed to be the guy that goes out and wrangles up these votes. Real quick, uh, Kel uh, said that she's going to be taking the next two weeks off. Uh, so her shows will not be on again at least until August 13th. Evidently, there's been a death in the family. So, uh, condolences, Kel. But uh, anyway, as I was saying, he's supposed to be the deal breaker, uh, the the deal maker. But he sat back and he's let these other people handle this, and it leaves you at a point where you don't even know if he's really serious about it. He wants to claim a victory. He wants to say that they've repealed Obamacare, and he doesn't care what the bill has in it as long as they can claim something changed, and they'll call that a repeal. But both the House's bill and the Senate's bill that was first presented was nowhere close. All right, now Kel says she's going to be on the air. So anyway. The bills were nowhere close to a repeal, not even in the neighborhood of a repeal. There were some slight tweaks, some changes. It, it was it, – in, in a couple of areas, it actually would have made what Obamacare is bad about. Even worse. But right now, Donald Trump would sign anything that came across his desk as long as it said somewhere in it that it repealed something of Obamacare, and he would claim victory. He needs to get more directly involved with this if he really wants this done. He really does. But the question there comes back to does he really want it done? Donald Trump is on the record of saying he's for a single-payer system. He believes in its virtue. He believes in a lot of fiscally socialist ideology. I want Donald Trump to be a great president. But I also want Donald Trump to stop this sideshow act that he keeps doing with his staff. I want him to, if he's going to use Twitter as a bully pulpit, to do so in a reasonable fashion so that everything doesn't have to be filtered through the media that's obviously against him. But I also want him to use that bully pulpit too. He can call a press conference whenever he wants to. He can talk directly to the American people, and then the media can make their comments and say whatever they want to and edit out and rewrite and show the footage later however they want to do. They are going to package it. He knows that. They can't repackage the Twitter, but 
with 140 characters, you can't eloquently put out everything that needs to be there. Twitter is the home of snark. It is not the home of eloquence. Anyone who has managed to master Twitter so that they can take 140 characters and get an eloquent message about anything out is someone far greater than I and far greater than most. And they need to teach everyone else how to do that because it's the home of snark for a reason. It doesesn't take many characters to say something smart alecky. It doesn't take much effort to be a smart aleck. Being a smart aleck is not the same as being smart. It's real easy to have negative incantations uh, put forth about this, that, or the other. I mean, at the very least, Donald, go to Facebook where you, you're not limited uh, for the number of characters, although most people won't read a really long post. And, well, Donald, you'd probably get put in Facebook jail with some of your messages. Maybe go over to TeaPartyCommunity.com, a great place uh, for social media that doesn't penalize you for being conservative. It's not without its trolls, but you're not going to end up in uh, TPC jail for voicing a conservative viewpoint. You're not going to end up in TPC jail for saying something about the tenets of Islam that's 100% true, just not politically correct. Anyway, back to the point that John McCain put a dagger in the heart of the hopes of repealing Obamacare, at least for the time being. We'll talk a little bit more towards the bottom of the second hour about uh, whether or not it's the best idea to continue to repeal or to replace or let it implode or or what's going to happen next. Now, when Kel was talking about uh, being off for the next two weeks, by the way, um, she's referring to another show. And uh, obviously there's been death in the family there, and so for a few weeks, uh, no ways the show is going to be off the air for a bit, but, uh, you know, it's very tragic, and so I send my thoughts, prayers, and condolences. We continue to fight against people in the arena of ideas who who have ideas that revolve around their personal power, their personal authority, a positional authority. Not personal authority, but positional authority. They want to be in a position where they can control you. It's time for a convention of states. It's time to put term limits in place for senators It's actually time to return the Senate back to the states, repeal the 17th Amendment. It's time to return common sense and decency to the ideology of running the country so that the public servants actually become that again. It is insane that someone can spend two terms in the Senate and amass more wealth than um, 
probably two-thirds of the population of the country will ever have combined. Corruption runs deep. Power corrupts. But most of these people have positional authority as opposed to personal authority. And the difference there, in case you're not familiar with the terminology, is simply that positional authority means that uh, I'm your boss or I'm the president or I'm a general and you're a, a private. They, you're supposed to respect the position regardless of who holds it. Personal authority comes from the fact that this person has served in some capacity with you and seen that you provide actual honest-to-goodness leadership, that you're willing to get your hands dirty, that you're willing to get in the muck and the mire, fighting the good fight and trying to win that fight, that you fight against the corruption, that you fight against the – the forces that want to continue us down this path because it means money to them or for those with even darker, more murky, more globalist ideologies, something far more sinister than just money for them. And even though it sounds like I'm trying to slip my tinfoil hat on right now, you would be remiss if you did not believe that there are in fact globalists who want to see the demise of nationalism because they want to see the demise of individual borders. They believe that that brings them power. At any rate, I want to thank everybody uh, for listening. Uh, thanks for being here. And the folks in the chat room, you know, COG and uh, Kel are uh, still in there. And there's a guest who's been hanging with us for a little bit now. Uh, so welcome uh, to the show. Thanks for being here. Uh, feel free to comment and add on in the chat room. Be part of the show uh, however you choose. Uh, just thanks for being here. Anybody that's listening otherwise. Uh, I do actually uh, have someone who's raised their hand, and they've been waiting for a bit. So uh, let me go ahead and sneak them on real quick. Uh, I've just got a minute or two before it's time for me to call a guest. So uh, uh, caller, uh I'm opening up the line right now, uh, and if you have a comment, uh, feel free to go ahead and make one. Caller, you're you're on the air. All right, well, not making a comment, so I'm going to go ahead and mute uh, at this point. And then what I am going to do right now is we will go ahead and do the Edwards Notebook. And from the Edwards Notebook, we will do the Veterans Tips of the Day. And then hopefully by that time, I will have today's guest. So stay with me, and I will be right back. But here's the Edwards Notebook. Call it the deep state or the unelected administration. We the people had better wake up before America is put to sleep. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards, on today's page from the Edwards Notebook, the elitists of big government, the establishment media, and academia are a three-headed monster that is bent on literally destroying our republic. Of course, every thinking American knows that. In fact, that trilogy has been working for decades to turn America into a dictatorship that is far removed from the constitutionally limited republic the founding fathers left us. 
one can go all the way back to the time of Ingalls and quickly learn how dedicated the globalist elites are in their movement to rule over everyone except themselves. Great men like Presidents Lincoln, McKinley, and Kennedy were murdered for trying to put America and liberty above global tyranny. The deep state or unelected entrenched administration that is being challenged by President Trump is just as evil as those in the past who put McKinley, Lincoln, and Kennedy asunder. My fellow Americans, America the Beautiful is in a literal fight for her survival. We must bring back Americanism and pray for our president, who is loathed by the same type of elitist who also hated McKinley, Lincoln, Kennedy, and Reagan. I'm Ron Edwards. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Dan Perkins here for Songs and Stories for Soldiers with your veterans tip of the day. Did you know that the suicide rate for women vets is 12 times that of their sisters in civilian life? Did you know that one in four women vets feel uncomfortable about talking to people about their mental health issues? Did you know almost 600,000 women vets in America are suffering from PTSD? It's time to help. It's time for all of us to encourage our sisters, mothers, and wives to get help by contacting their local VA hospital clinic or community-based health care center. So if you know a woman vet that is suffering, go to va.gov and find their nearest VA facility. This has been Dan Perkins of Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us with your veterans tip of the day. Dan Perkins here for Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us with your veteran tip of the day. Have you filed for your veterans benefits yet? More and more baby boomers who are veterans are thinking about applying for VA benefits based on their service in the military. So here's your veteran's tip of the day. Before you apply for VA benefits, make sure you have a copy of your DD-211 discharge papers. This is Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers. Veteran tip of the day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, those of course the veteran's tip of the day. And now I am pleased to be joined by Eric Peters. He is a contributor for The uh, Spectator, uh, lourockwell.com. Uh, as well as multiple other places and the purveyor of his own website. Um, Eric, uh, thank you very much for being here today. How are you? I'm good. Happy to be here. All right, sir. Uh, let the listeners know a little bit about your background and what brings you to uh, position yourself uh, on this uh, issue about uh, Walmart and how they're still trying to utilize uh, a level of cronyism. Well, I've been a car journalist for, gosh, I guess about 25 years now, and initially I began uh, just doing vehicle evaluations and consumer-oriented articles along with some news articles, um, but inevitably um, I began to become aware of some of the policy issues that affect both the industry uh, and, of course, the cars that we drive, and that led me into investigating that and writing about that. And so I do uh, a lot of that. Uh, in fact, it's probably about half of what I do nowadays. Um, and again, because it's inescapable. Uh, if you uh, want to understand the industry, if you want to understand cars and why they are the way they are, you have to get involved with what's going on in Washington as far as the, the regulatory state uh, and as far as the laws that are being passed. All right. So a lot of what we're talking about here, uh, and you're kind of pointing at Walmart as being uh, the purveyor of the destruction of the mom-and-pop gas station is something that keeps mm -hmm. popping in, although – 
you know, we've talked to some uh, here, and a lot of conservatives have talked about Walmart and the damage they've done to mom and pop show, uh, mom and pop mm-hmm. shops, uh, in a multiple uh, aspects. Whether you're talking about just a small general store or somebody that just does a clothing outlet, they've really decimated competition. Um, but the gas stations are probably among the last remaining areas where they didn't really have much influence. Uh, but they are still at work at a political level that now is starting to reach them as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about where this idea of trying to appropriate Main Street is taking us on the political edge and how it's affecting uh, what, in your own words, our last great freedom being able to drive. Well, you mentioned competition a moment ago, and uh, we're really not talking about competition. We're talking about unfair competition. Um, speaking for myself, and I'm, I'm guessing probably for most Americans, competition is a good thing uh, when it's free competition, when you're offering a product or a service that's better than your competitors, uh, or you're able to offer it at a lower price on the free market. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, large entities, and Walmart is one of them, um, that have been able to leverage the federal government, and in particular leverage federal regulations to their advantage uh, to uh, hurt their their competitors, uh, which don't have the economies of scale, the leverage, and the lobbyists, and so on, that they have available to them. So as we're looking forward at this, you know, again, there are putting Walmart in this case is putting a lot of money into these different organizations and doing this lobbying. Uh what has been the most detrimental of these uh these efforts towards automotive and motorcyclists? What's the biggest threat towards taking this last bastion of freedom? Well, the thing that we're talking about specifically here has to do with a federal regulation called the Renewable Fuel Standard. Are you familiar with that? Uh, yes, sir. Okay, effectively, that is um, a requirement that gasoline be adulterated, that's the honest word for it, um, with ethanol, which is really uh, synonymous with renewable in this country. Um, And the result of that has been that big operations uh, can leverage the the renewable fuel standard uh, such that that they can improve their competitive position relative to the mom-and-pop stations because the mom-and-pop stations do not have the ability to manufacture the renewable fuel themselves, yet the federal government requires that it be sold. There is a very arcane and bureaucratic thing going on called uh, RINs. Have you heard of that acronym? Actually, no, I'm not familiar with that one. Okay, it is uh, an acronym that stands for Renewable Identification Number, and it's something that you've got to have in order to satisfy the federal requirement that you produce or sell Uh, the given volume of the renewable fuel. And here's where the big companies, uh, the big entities, are able to leverage their competitive advantage. They can buy and sell these things. They can manipulate the price of the fuel such that uh, it ends up costing the small mom-and-pop stations considerably more to maintain themselves in the market and to offer their fuel um, and do it without losing money. As you probably know, um, for a small station, a couple of cents per gallon either way uh, can be all the difference between staying in business or not staying in business. And that's what's happening here with this renewable fuel standard. 
All right. So uh, what we're uh, we're still talking about this growth industry of the mom and pop witnesses. The uh, the mom and pop gas station really is a, a, a form of freedom in and of itself. The ability to change where you're at by opening a business on the social economic scale that provides freedom to that family. But what this is doing is essentially eliminating further opportunities for smaller organizations and then turning around and allowing bigger operations, uh, convenience store chains, uh, an unfair advantage at the same time, correct? That's correct. Now, for people who still may not be following this. Go ahead. Uh, something something that your listeners may be interested to uh, discover or learn about is that 40% of the corn crop in this country goes toward the production of ethanol. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, we've actually dis- uh, discussed that, uh, although, to be honest, I was under the impression it was a bit higher than that. Well, it might be. Uh, it's entirely possible. They keep jacking up um, the requirements as far as how much of this stuff has to be diverted or how much of the corn crop, I should say, has to be diverted into the production of ethanol. And this has multiple effects. On the one hand, uh, by taking that large a chunk of the corn crop out of circulation, there's less food for people, number one, and there's less food for the animals that feed people. So in addition to the problem that we're having with our cars, uh, it's also causing the prices of food to go up. And it's a hidden cost that most people are not aware of. Right. Uh, it's uh, It really is a, an effort to uh, continue to have some level of control at a government standard that really shouldn't be there. But again, the idea is that this is supposed to help alleviate and bring energy costs down. Has there been anyone who's actually benefited from uh, this adulteration of the gas? other than big-time convenience store chains? Absolutely not. Uh, It certainly has not benefited the average motorist. Um, It has absolutely not benefited the small small mom-and-pop stores, uh, the small distributors, the smaller refiners that have to cope with these incredibly burdensome and expensive regulations. Um, You know, we're told that this is going to uh, reduce the dependence of the country on foreign oil. Um, and I don't know about that, and even if that were the case, the inefficiency of the program is striking. Um, the amount of money that is wasted outright and then to fraud is absolutely staggering. Yeah, in fact, the fraud is something that uh, I think we probably should touch on too because you wrote recently uh, over at Red State uh, about a gentleman who was selling uh, fake uh, renewable fuel standard credits. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's analogous to there is a there is a very similar scam going on that probably most of your listeners have heard about uh, the carbon credit thing. Have you heard about that? Yes, sir. Okay, it's very analogous to that. Uh, in in some states, for example, in California, um, every car company that wishes to sell vehicles in the state of California and some other states. They're required by law to sell a certain number of zero emissions vehicles. And under the law, the only vehicles that qualify as zero emissions are electric cars. 
So if you're a car company and you don't have an electric car in your inventory and you don't want to commit the resources to designing and building one, what you do is you buy carbon credits for uh, your not having built them from somebody like Elon Musk, electric car company. And these, these uh, RINs, these tradable credits for the renewable fuels work very much the same way. Those who have them can charge exorbitant prices for them. And since it's a captive audience, if you want to sell fuel, if you're the mom and pop station, you need those RINs or you have to get the fuel somehow or you have to get the ethanol somehow. You pretty much have to pay what they tell you. You're out of luck and your costs go through the roof. And eventually uh, you're not able to stay in business because of that leverage that's being used against you by these big operations. And again, it's not fair competition. I don't think anybody has an issue with that. This is about leveraging the regulatory state for a competitive advantage. Is is there any way at all that uh, a congressman uh, or a senator can sit back and look at these regulations and not see that, that this is just a manipulation of the markets and creating an unfair advantage for people who are in a stronger position? Well, it's interesting that you mention that. Um, the root of this problem, in my opinion, is that Congress has abdicated its constitutional responsibility to write the country's laws. That's what Congress is supposed to do. What they've done is to offload that job onto these federal bureaucracies, the EPA, for example. And the EPA and the other various federal bureaucracies uh, have become de facto law-writing entities uh, when they put forth a regulation, it has the full force and effect of law. We're compelled to obey that regulation under penalty of law. But the problem is we can't unelect an EPA bureaucrat. These people that are in the bureaucracy are pretty much there for life. They're not accountable to the voters, uh, and they're hardly electable, uh, hardly accountable to Congress. So I think a, a key reform, a key way to get a handle on this is to insist that Congress do its job and write the laws and be held accountable for the laws that they write um, by the voters so that we can get rid of people or install people as need be to make these things uh, operate properly and uh, in a way that's correct. Is it also not true, however, that uh, it would be far easier for the executive branch, since most of these agencies fall under the preview of the executive branch, that the uh, president or couldn't uh, act much quicker and put it into a lot of these things. Um, there's no doubt that that could be done. Uh, however, I personally, this is just my personal opinion, I'm, I'm reluctant to endorse that simply because of the precedent that it sets. Uh, if we have a president that we agree with and that we think uh, he's doing the correct thing, even if it's an onerous regulation, um, the problem is he sets that precedent and then a couple of years down the road we get a different president. And then that president begins issuing executive decisions that we don't like and agree with. I think that's potentially a very dangerous thing that we have to be very careful about. Well, I certainly understand that uh, that line of thought. We talk about that quite a bit, actually. Uh, however, there are certain areas where executive orders have their place, and I think anything within the executive branch falls safely into that category. And then outside of the executive branch, unless Congress has specifically given him the authority, it really isn't uh, power of law. It shouldn't be considered as such. Uh, there seems to be a lot of yep. blurred lines already. 
the last couple of presidents we've had have really pushed those uh, levels. And the American public, however, I'm afraid, is just not as well informed as they used to be about how the government is supposed to work. Well, what is the ultimate endgame here for Walmart being behind a lot of these uh, uh, groups that are looking to try and lobby in this fashion, though? Because the mom-and-pop outfits and guests, this is not something we normally think of as something that Walmart uh, gets heavily involved because you know they were busy becoming the super Walmart's groceries and uh, the whole lack of their clothes, medicine, whatever. Yep. They do have some gas stations associated with them now, but that's really not been a field we normally think of Walmart with. Right. Well, uh, you know they have uh, with Sam's Club, which is a, another a part of their their conglomerate. Uh, they do have these gas stations, and ultimately, if something isn't done, uh, there's a saying, and uh, I think it, it's in agriculture, but it, I've heard it elsewhere as well, that that goes, get big or get out, and this consolidation and homogenization of various industries, this is just one example, into these gigantic operations um, that are able to simply push aside uh, pretty much everybody else and impose barriers to entry. Uh, and they found that they can do that most effectively, again, by leveraging the government. Um, in the car industry, for example, it would be inordinately difficult for an innovator like Henry Ford uh, to start up a new car company today simply because of the daunting regulatory burdens uh, that face anybody who wants to sell a car in this country. You can't just build a, a better mousetrap in your garage and then offer it for sale. You have to get through crash testing. You have to get through... Uh, the EPA, you have to get through DOT, and this involves millions and millions of dollars. And these big industries like regulations because the regulations they can afford and the regulations they can help write, and the smaller newcomers simply can't be involved in that game. And so uh, it's they're at a tremendous disadvantage as a result of that. All right. Well, uh, Eric, again, I want to thank you very much for your time today. Real quick before I let you go, uh, throw out all the information where they can find your work, website, uh, social media. If you invite people to follow you, just go ahead and give that out to the masses. Oh, sure. Well, um, people can come to my website, which is epautos.com. And uh, we're also, uh, it just happens that my latest book, which is um, about buying and selling cars, it's called Don't Get Taken for a Ride. An e, uh, an e version of that is. Uh, available free on the website uh, for anybody who's interested. And you can follow me on Twitter at LibertarianCarG. They wouldn't give me Guy, so I'm LibertarianCarG at Twitter. All right, uh, Eric, thank you very much again for your time. Uh, Keep up the good work, keeping us informed and watching both these uh, regulatory issues and uh, how they affect our uh, freedoms and our ability to get out and just enjoy this great nation by driving. Uh, appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we can talk. Thank you, sir. I'd like that. All right. Okay, bye-bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Eric Peters. Now, uh, for those of you who may not have been familiar with Eric Peters' work, uh, you know I do have a link in the show description, and I did share one in the chat room. Uh, to his website, along with uh, some other recently uh, written articles by him. And they're talking about these very issues. And uh, I find it interesting because this is a guy, and we really didn't get a chance to get into it uh, too deeply, but he kind of touched on it. This is a guy who was focused on cars. 
cars and motorcycles primarily. And if you're uh, here uh, listening at BTR, then in the slideshow, you're seeing the picture of him on his motorcycle uh, ever so often as the rest of the slides go through. And it was his enjoyment of that freedom that led him to the understanding that he was being uh, influenced in a positive or a negative way that was affecting his freedom by going out and uh, being able to drive. Well, if you're going to make it harder for me to drive, if you're going to make it harder for me to afford to be able to, if you're going to throw all this out there, then maybe I should be paying attention to it. And that's the type of awakening that I wish more and more Americans would have because something like Obamacare, uh, something like EPA regulations, they may be already affecting you, and you just don't know it because you haven't taken the time to find out. So Eric Peters, uh, interesting guy, uh, very dedicated to his craft, and I do recommend uh, going over checking out his website because it's not a political site. He does have a section uh, marked off for politics uh, so that if you want to follow there, but if you're just going to the website, it's about cars and, and motorcycles and things that he has an interest in. That's what he covers. Uh yeah, Kel says, just look at your heating bill. Yeah, you want to know how energy issues are affecting us, then that's a pretty good way. Now, uh, they've got their hand raised again. It looks like the same caller. I'm going to see if the caller wants to comment this time. Uh, all right, I'm bringing you on. Uh, caller, uh, go ahead. Basically, I appreciate the opportunity to talk. Bottom line, I've heard both your guests and heard you talking about Obamacare. Obamacare is an abomination set to destroy itself just so the government can take over and eliminate the insurance agencies entirely. The whole view and perspective of one senator deciding to take and go against everyone else is really irrelevant. It's a part of the game. They all look to take and make a movement in seizing more control. The government has been corrupted into wanting to be in total control. That is my view on that. Now, as far as coordinate, the whole cost and effectiveness of the corn industry as a whole is totally oblivious to most of the people that do their research and study. The corn industry really isn't being hit. It is just a simple marketing excuse to raise prices across the board. There is an abundance of corn in this nation and in others. The corn isn't as valued as it is marketed. Corn has very few purposes and they're trying to find ways of dealing with the backstop that they've already got inventory that the government's already surplused way too much. Corn is not one of those resources that's going to go downhill by the usage in gasolines. 
it's just an excuse to increase costs. And that is the way that I see on that. All right. Well, let me uh, let me jump in right about there then, if you don't mind. Uh, and uh, most of what you're saying, I think, is exactly the message we've been putting forward. But, yeah, I, it was kind of the point of uh, the last guest, Mr. Eric Peters, that uh, gasoline is being, being adulterated by the ethanol. And obviously, you're in a very loud location. You've got some traffic going by, and that's all right. I'm still going to leave uh, you unmuted. But uh, it it is an excuse that is being utilized to increase uh, the cost of corn, uh, whereas it may not necessarily be affected. The, the supply may not be as affected as the industry would like you to think. But at the same time, he wasn't really commenting as towards the availability, but that it was still affecting uh, your grocery budget. And, and I don't think there's any question there. I think we're pretty much in agreement with that. Would Would you say that's correct? I would say that that is correct. It's just an excuse to inflate the prices on food and to try to manipulate and control the public. All right. Well, I think we can pretty much agree on a lot of uh, what the government is up to then because, you know, again, we talk a lot about how a lot of this is about control, and there's no question. There is a large number of people, most of them self-identify as <clears throat> progressives, that their ultimate agenda is to garner more control, and they do so in the name of taking care of you. It's for the children. It's for the elderly. It's for whatever the biggest excuse they can come up with. I suppose this past week it'd be for the transgender because of Trump's little tweet, which still I'm scratching my head about whether or not this is going to get implemented or not. I love the announcement. Uh, I certainly hope that he moves forward with it for multiple reasons. But uh, is there any other uh, comments you'd like to make in regards to that topic or something else that's happened this week that I haven't gotten to yet uh, before I let you go? Because I'm always glad to have callers uh, drop in their opinions. Basically, right now, my heart and prayers are going out to the great state of Tennessee's Nashville mayor right now as she has suffered the loss of her only son. And right now that is about the only thing that I really have to add to it. I do appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, sir. All right. Well, of course, as with most callers, you're always welcome to call back. I'll go ahead and slide you on to mute right now. Uh, thanks for the call. And, uh, yes, we'll uh, go ahead and extend the same uh, condolences uh, to the mayor of Nashville. Uh, I did see a link just come across uh, my phone a few minutes ago with that. Uh, uh, my brother had actually shared that. I think he's probably got that all over Facebook by now, and I'll probably be sharing that link uh, after the show. But, uh, you know, it, it's not like I'm a fan of the Nashville mayor. Uh, she has been greatly involved with trying to turn Nashville into a sanctuary city, and we've talked about that uh, a few weeks back. That was one of the major talking points. Uh, but uh, something like that happens. That's a good opportunity for me to practice what I preach, and that's put politics aside in place of people. So, yes, definitely sorry to hear about the loss, and uh, I'll uh, I'll say a prayer. Uh, I, I'm not... 
I'm not the kind of person who doesn't acknowledge that kind of loss. Uh, it's uh, that's that's actually very sad. So I'm very sad to hear that. But uh, now I have got very little time left to try and sneak the other topics in that I was going to get to. So let me see if I, in fact, even still can. Uh, I still have yet to comment on Jeff's about the Jeff Sessions public shaming thing uh, on the show, and uh, let me go ahead and start there. Again, this is part of why I've been kind of uh, disappointed more in Donald Trump in the last week and a half or so, the last two weeks, than uh, I've felt uh, good about him. In so much as the fact that this is distraction. You know, Jeff Sessions is an honorable man who's actually been working hard to implement the policies that Donald Trump wanted to move forward with, especially involving immigration, especially involving the effort to try and stop uh, the proliferation of gang activity within the United States by uh, gangs that find their initial home somewhere outside of the United States. Jeff Sessions is – he's a guy who did the right thing. We talked about this in depth, and uh, please, uh, guys in the chat room, feel free to – to comment on this, you, know, you can agree or disagree with me, and I, I welcome both. It doesn't matter, but it's absolutely insane to take a guy who's doing his job and then to basically go to Twitter and try to publicly shame him because he's doing or, in fact, hasn't done something you initially said you didn't want done. It was Donald Trump himself who said she's been through enough. <laughs> do what uh, do what uh, I think Hungary is doing. Put soldiers on the border. Uh, that's from Kel in the uh, chat room. Uh, but Jeff Sessions, he wasn't pursuing an investigation into Hillary Clinton because Donald Trump said she's been through enough. I don't want to do that. Could be Poland. Okay, so here you are, President Trump. You said well, we're not going to do that. So then why publicly come out and derail? Because you're just mad that he recused himself from the Russian investigation. I get that right now you wish the Russian investigation was over. I understand that. It is a terrible drain on your time, your energy, and your efforts, and it's keeping you from moving your agenda forward. And more than that, the overwhelming majority of the media, and I'm guessing the majority of Democrats that currently hold office in the House or the Senate, know that is – is, in the words of a producer at CNN, a big nothing burger. But it's not going to go away as long as they find any excuse to keep it going, which they continue to find little things here and there. And unfortunately, you are an international businessman, Mr. Trump, President Trump, before you delved into the world of politics and ran for president and became the president. So you have probably millions of connections to Russian investors that you weren't even aware of because you did or did not have direct meetings. And I'm guessing that over the number of years that you've been in business, that you probably remember less than 10% of the total number of people you've taken meetings with. But the big thing is that your children and your advisors should be far more careful, especially with recent meetings. They should have had all this out on the front floor. They didn't. It looked like they found something. Again, there's nothing there. Collusion is not a legal term. 
Collusion is not a crime, and I'm pretty sure that even if it was, collusion has not occurred in this situation. The only people that are really winning from this entanglement, this witch hunt, this desire to try and prove that Russians interfered with the election, Russians try and interfere with the election every single election we have, especially the presidential ones. But he didn't matter. It didn't matter to Putin if Hillary won or if Donald Trump won. He doesn't like Donald any more than he likes Hillary. He likes thinking that the American people are at each other's throats over the outcome of the election. So who wins? Donald Trump doesn't win that. Hillary Clinton doesn't win that. Vladimir Putin wins. Russia is not our friend. Russia is not going to be our friend. China is not our friend. China is not going to be our friend. These people want bad things for America because we are the biggest force remaining that stands opposed to their efforts of controlling everything. It's that simple. But Donald, please stop the reality TV crap. It really is this simple. You had a tremendous opportunity to step into the White House and prove once and for all how the government could function if you ran it as a business. So run it as a business and stop running it like a reality TV show. It's not about what personality is in charge in the West Wing. It should be about what business is getting conducted and what business is being done. Keep your campaign promises as best you can. The American people, especially your supporters, are going to understand if you fall short because Congress gets in the way. We will forgive them, and in fact well, – not them. We'll forgive you, and in fact we will work twice as hard to put more like-minded people like, oh, say, Kid Rock, for example, into the House and into the Senate so that your agenda can get moved forward. That is what the American people said when they elected you. That's what the American people were saying when they gave control of the House and, and the Senate to the Republican Party. Stop attacking a good man who's doing his job because you're frustrated with something else. When you fired the former FBI director, he needed to have been fired. He should have been fired a long time ago. He shouldn't have made it through the Obama administration. He was terrible at his job. But if the only reason you fired him was over frustration over the Russia investigation, that was the wrong reason to do it. Now, I'm personally the kind of guy that would rather have you do the right thing for the wrong reason than the wrong thing for any reason. So I'll take that. Should have been done. But Jeff Sessions does not deserve to be made fun of. He does not deserve to be publicly attacked. He does not deserve to be publicly shamed based on the fact that you're angry over the Russian investigation, and he recused himself because as a man of honor, he wanted to see honor returned to our government. How many times have you heard me turn the phrase? And right now, of course, I'm talking to the chat room because I know the chat room folks have listened to the show for quite a while. So for those of you who are longtime listeners, how many times have you heard me utter the phrase, the appearance of impropriety? There was a time when Hillary Clinton could have never gotten the nomination to run for president in the first place because even the Democrats believed that your character counts. They believed that it mattered, your public persona, and that even if you had some kind of skeleton in your closet – thanks, Cal. 
Kel saying many times, Tim, which she actually means with the explanation point, probably too many times. <laughs> but that's okay. The point is, is that we want our politicians to be public servants and not politicians. We keep electing politicians, but we want public servants. That's what they're supposed to be. And we want them to be above reproach, at least on the issues that matter. Their personal lives can be their personal lives as long as that personal life doesn't mean that uh, they're endangering the safety of the nation. We want people that can avoid even the appearance of impropriety, and that's just what Jeff Sessions did. He said, look, I have, I've had meetings with Russians lately within the time frame of the campaign, but it was before I was before I was the first member of the Senate to publicly gamble my career and support your nomination, because that's what Jeff Sessions did. He was the first member of the Senate. He was the first member of the Senate to stand up and say, Donald Trump should be the next president of the United States. He supported you at great political risk at that point in time. But he did it because he thought it was the right thing to do. He did it because you – because he believed that you believed that it was time to bring honor, distinction, and public service back to the White House and to the other bodies of the federal government. And he knows that starts with the actions and interactions that you have with the public and with the other branches of government. Now, technically, he didn't have to recuse himself. He could unrecuse himself. I don't know that he wants to. But then you'd have the Democrats crying foul, and you'd have the media not explaining to you how this isn't a criminal event in the first place. They would have the media not explaining to you how it would be perfectly okay for him to do these things. But you would have the media saying, especially MSNBC and NBC and ABC and CBS, they would all be out there saying, yes, CNN, although I don't even call them news media anymore. They'd be all saying, see? They're just trying to cover it up. Obstruction of justice. Obstruction of justice. And they would run with that narrative. But he himself knew that he had had a meeting with a Russian ambassador shortly before he came out publicly in support of Donald Trump. So he knew that that itself, even though there was nothing inappropriate about it, could be possibly looked at with a raised eyebrow. So therefore, the appearance of impropriety was addressed. He said, look, I'm going to recuse myself because I don't want anyone on the left to be able to say that I'm up to something shaky, that I'm up to something fishy, that this is more of that evil, dark, whatever that they seem to think Donald Trump is. You're attacking a friend instead of an enemy, and if you do eventually fire him, which I think this was more of a distraction for the media than anything else. I certainly hope so. I don't think he has any intentions of firing Jeff Sessions, and I hope, quite honestly, that he doesn't because the rumors going around today on most of the Sunday talk shows that he's thinking about maybe just transferring him to a different department. Fire him as AG and move him into a department head somewhere else. 
I hope he doesn't do that either because if for no other reason, how many of your appointees have you have left to go to get to get uh, your certification from uh, the Senate? Your appointees, how many of them do you have in place yet? Mr. President, the attorney general is one of the most important positions that you can have filled, and it is one of the very few that you actually have a person you want there, there. Please, please, if you think it's bad with him there, with him there how bad is it going to get with him not there? Because how long is it going to be before you get the next guy up that you want to be attorney general in that place? And who's going to be running the Justice Department, supposedly in your name, in his absence? It's a bad idea, Mr. President, and please stop attacking your allies because you're upset at what your enemies are doing. You're better than that. You're smarter than that. Which takes us to the transgender tweet. Okay, supposedly transgenders are no longer going to be allowed to openly serve in the military, reversing an edict from former occupier of the White House, Barack Hussein Alu Akbar Obama, who in part of that edict also had tried to put transgender health care into the standard care available. Now, I've heard a lot of people saying that, well, the military only pays for life-saving. Elective surgeries are not constituted. Under the guidelines and heading that Obama put in place, he's trying to get, try to get that changed. So that expense is part of the issue. But it doesn't matter if it's going to be paid for or not uh, by the U.S. government for the health maintenance that's required for hormone therapies or for the, sur- the reassignment surgeries themselves. None of that matters. Or people enlisting for the gender surgery. Well, I certainly hope not, but it wouldn't surprise me if some didn't. I mean, Barack made a big deal about it when he signed it and uh, signed his little order and moved it forward. But here's here's the problems with the tweet saying no more. Well, no, let me finish my previous thought before I jump to that because I'm going to end up missing a major point that needs to be out there, and it's just this simple. The U.S. military is already spending millions of dollars annually to deal with unexpected pregnancies involving women, particularly in the Navy, that are in positions like on board ships, wherever they're stationed, needing to be reassigned. Now, that's a huge, huge expense to the taxpayer dollars. But it's one that's being ignored by both generals and admirals because they were told that they're not allowed to do anything about it at this point. This is part of the Obama attitude. This is really part of the progressive let's destroy the American military agenda. And I'm not against women serving, not by a long shot. I get a little antsy about women being in forward positions during times of hostility. That goes back to this being a southern gentleman as far as the upgrading. I don't like the idea of women being in harm's way if it can be avoided. Uh, Not getting pregnant should be part of your contract, uh, Kel says. You know what? 
being combat ready and ready for deployment if you're in a forward position is part of the expectation already. It's part of the rules in the code of conduct. But it isn't stopping pregnancies from happening, especially on board ships. It's happening at an alarming rate. But what's going to happen if your combat-ready transgender uh, military force is sitting there and suddenly half of a regiment needs to take a break so they can go get their hormone therapy? You're not combat-ready, and you're not prepared. And now I'm going to say something you've probably heard a bajillion times by now, but the reasons you've heard it this many times is because it's absolutely true. It doesn't matter what kind of a person you are doesn't matter what kind of group you self-identify with. You do not have a right to be in the U.S. military. It is an honor. It is a privilege to get to serve. It's one that you pay for dearly and you have to sacrifice for, and it is one that you should not take lightly. So much so that you should not take it lightly in thinking that it's a job opportunity, a way to get out of a economically unstable region of the country or a way to avoid jail time. It has been all of those things for some people at one time or another, but that is not how it should be looked at, and it can't be how it's allowed to move forward. The military has every right to be selective. It has every right to discriminate you based on health positions. It has every right to discriminate against you for any other purpose that it chooses if it thinks it affects your combat readiness or, more importantly, their combat readiness. Kel's asking if fraternizing among soldiers means court-martial. It used to. I have not heard of a single court-martial in the last five years based solely on that alone. And unfortunately, it's usually the male soldiers that would be court-martialed because of it rather than the uh, rather than the female the members of the military. But unless they were raped, I don't see how they're not equally responsible for the fraternization, to answer your question. But you don't have a right to serve in the military. It is an honor. You do not join the military to express your individuality. The military is not a place for social experimentation. You go to the military because you want to serve. And while it may be true that every transgender or homosexual or uh, purple pink polka-dotted person on the planet who wants to serve the military may be ready and willing to sacrifice their life in the name of their country. That's admirable, but it is not the only thing that makes you qualified to be a member of the U.S. military. It takes way more than a when you're safe at home thinking, I'd like to serve. It takes way more than that mindset alone become the tip of the sword. It becomes a joke to think that we should have entire regiments of transgender. We, I was talking about right here on this very show just a little over a week ago how the orders had come down, the new guidelines that women should be should expect to start seeing other women in their combat roles, women with penises. 
They're going to be in your barracks. They're going to be in your showers. We had a story not too long ago that I covered about a police officer who was in trouble because he misgendered someone who was speeding because they were in a drag race. And now the entire department that he worked in, in Florida, is now facing sensitivity training dealing with misgendering. I'm going to probably be court-ordered at some point to get the same sensitivity level because I am going to continue to appropriately gender male and female as they are. If a story comes across my desk and I'm sitting here and I'm talking about a guy who wants to be called a woman, I'm still going to call him a guy and vice versa because that is the truth. That is the reality of their chromosomal sets. That is science, and that science, unlike climate change, actually is settled. XY, you're a man. XX, you're a woman. I can't call you something different than that and misgender you. You're the one misgendering yourself. And your gender dysphoria, it is a mental disorder. It has been identified as one for quite some time. Kel sharing a, a link in the chat room right now uh, involving U.S. Army uh, cadets being forced to wear high heels to promote a feminist campaign. It's a YouTube link. So here's a good reason for you to be here, listen live, and join in the chat room so you could pop in that link. You could check out this video. But it's out there on YouTube, so you can probably search it and find it. Where, where did the wheels fall off, and how can we find them so we can put them back on? This is insanity. And the worst part is, is that we got tweets from uh, high-ranking military officials saying that this uh, this tweet from the president, uh, well, it's meaningless. We're not going to institute anything because we haven't gotten an official order. So if the president, if President Trump had been serious about this, he would have had a, an executive order as the commander-in-chief already written up, and he would be presenting that to the Joint Chiefs of Staff about the same time that he was tweeting this out. Or at least they certainly would have gotten one by now. And now you also have high-ranking military officials saying that this will probably end up in court. So they're going to pretend like their hands are tied to move forward with this until after they hear something from the court. Rather than institute this, they're going to move forward with the Obama-era social experimentation of our military. And this does not come from a place of hate or anger or phobia of any kind. This comes from the simple fact that our fighting force needs to be prepared to fight. Distractions to that fighting force are not helpful. Distractions, further expenses on the American taxpayer for things that equate to mutilation of your body, also unacceptable. What you choose to do with your body, if you leave my taxpayer dollars out of it, it's your business. Now, I still might comment on it if you want to make a big deal about it and get it in the news cycle. So be it. That was your choice also. And when I do comment about it, then we'll, we'll talk about it. 
that actually is the culture war story of the week. The backlash. You would have thought that this was the most horrific thing ever based on the media and certain Democrats and who knows what else. Now, the outrage of the week, I'm going to try and kick it in real quick, and this was the outrage of the week. And surprisingly enough, this didn't come from a politician, although there was plenty of reason to be outraged by Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And if you needed any more response to that, go back and check out Wednesday night's show. Michael Darty laid a lot out on the line for us. Uh, certainly plenty of stuff from former occupier of the White House, Barack Hussein al-Awakbar Obama. Plenty of stuff from uh, several politicians. But uh, the real outrage of the week this week comes from an awesome video that was posted to social media from a from a welfare queen. And this particular welfare queen was bragging about raping the government and was taunting working Americans uh, with all kinds of ex- explicit, expressive language, blah, 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 and expectatives. In a viral social media post, a mother of three, currently residing in Brooklyn, New York, was bragging about how proud she was of living off the government. Or, as she so eloquently put it in the video, raping the government. She had her cigarette in her hand, and she was taunting, quote, the white man and white bitches. America's working nine to five. She's quite the charming lady. She went on saying, quote, got my own stuff. Only she didn't say stuff. Mother of three kids by myself. F it. I don't pay taxes. Lick my A. Posting this, of course, from an Obama phone. She went on to say, quote, welfare bitches have more than you bitches. You working nine to five, bitches. You still ain't got S. She went on about it, talking about, quote, Jordan's on my feet all day. Uh, she threw in another bitches just for uh, good measure, I guess. I ain't working in no cash register, no effing Target, no effing sneaker store. You can kiss my A before I'll stoop that low. About this time, she starts finding herself pretty dang funny, and she starts laughing and giggling a little bit more, but she keeps going on. And she's bragging about raping the government. The single woman curses out President Donald Trump. I'm thinking back. wonder why the lady's single. I'm uh, pretty crazy, but uh, she said, F Trump, F the government. I'm going to rape this Essen on my I'm so Gucci. <laughs> See, I, I'm having to leave too many blanks for you to even get the full extent of this. I'm so Gucci. The white man can kiss my A. Respect the effing game. As widely known, New York, where the woman claims to reside, can be a haven for people looking to scam off the government. In fact, in uh, 2015, the Cato Institute found that uh, in New York uh, State, the welfare system uh, was uh, 
more generous than Sweden or France, which, in case you're not aware, are pretty daggum government with taxpayer dollars. Uh, pretty daggum uh, generous with taxpayer dollars, I should say. In New York, a mother of two children under the age of five who participates in six major welfare programs would receive a total benefits package with a value of more than $27,500 per year. That's more than a lot of Americans are earning. New York is much more generous than such well-known welfare states as France, uh, where the average is about $17,324, Germany, 23257 and even Sweden at $22,111 annually. In other words, the incentive for getting off government assistance is nowhere in sight, as this Brooklyn welfare queen painfully makes clear uh, she's got the deal. That's what makes us the outrage of the week. We are living in a point in time where people are still gaming the system that well. That she can actually take a phone that was provided to her and brag about it and will face no consequences. She will face no consequences. There will be no investigation. There will be no efforts from the New York State welfare system to check and see how much of this she truly is in line for. She's getting everything taken care of, and she has no incentive, zero incentive to improve her own life. That's the outrageous part because that's what this does. It disinfects for yourself, and it Reasserts your dependence on a socialist-style government. The president gave a great speech about MS-13. People actually defended MS-13. Wanted to get to that a little bit today, but I am out of time. But one more quick occasion. I did not get to talk much about North Korea. We mentioned it a little bit. I didn't get too far into it, though. I'm out of time. John McCain and his betrayal and what... Obamacare is leading us to think about Charlie Gard. Let's remember Charlie Gard. Let's make him the poster child for fighting not just socialized medicine, but all things socialism. I've got to go. I wish I had another hour today. But thanks for being here. I appreciate it as always for those of you who listen. Uh, as I mentioned also, patriotmusic.com. This, however, is Cash Easlow. Miracle, I'm still praying for one. I hope you are too. And remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and to use your brain if you really want to tap into Goodbye, everybody, and I am out. Looking for a miracle. You're looking for a miracle.